Hello, and welcome back to The Complete History of Science, Series 2, Episode 4, The Origins of Medicine. Medicine is unique amongst the sciences. While we might study other sciences, say zoology or astronomy, out of pure curiosity, medicine is never fully separated from its utility. Indeed, it's remarkable to reflect for a second on quite how much medicine has benefited mankind. Just in the past 200 years, life expectancy amongst Western countries has doubled, and developing nations seem to be following the same trend. There are many reasons for this, but one of the main ones is that diseases which in the past would have been fatal are now curable. Tuberculosis, for example, which is thought to have killed as many as a billion people in the past two centuries, is now easily treated with antibiotics. And just as importantly, vaccines have eradicated some diseases entirely. Smallpox used to kill as many as 30% of those infected, but it's now completely gone, while other diseases, such as polio and measles, are likely to be eliminated within our lifetimes. Modern medicine, then, has greatly relieved the amount of suffering we endure, and if we take a moment to look at our own lives, we can all point to examples of where medicine has benefited us. However, the centrality of medicine in our lives is nothing new. As the most urgent of all the sciences, medicine almost certainly dates from prehistoric times. For as long as humans have faced disease, injury and death, surely there must have been attempts to treat it. And this isn't just supposition, because it's clear from the archaeological record that some form of medicine was practiced as far back as the Neolithic era. One of the earliest indications we have of prehistoric medical practice can be found on the remains of Neolithic skeletons, some of which bear the trademarks of primitive surgeries. One of these surgeries has come to be known as syncopetal mutilation and is characterised by cuts, usually found in a TRL shape, on skulls. Impressively, there's also evidence that these wounds were then closed using a cauterizing agent. Even more dramatically, there's also widespread evidence amongst prehistoric societies for a practice known as trepanation. This involves the removal of a circular disc of bone from the cranium. One method to achieve this was simply creating a curved groove around the selected area and slowly scraping away the bone with a sharp stone tool. While we don't know whether patients were given any form of anesthesia or antiseptic, it's clear the patients often survived the procedure and would sometimes wear the circular disc as an amulet. Unfortunately, we don't definitely know the purpose of these procedures. They may have perhaps been an attempt to relieve headaches or epilepsy. However, it's also widely believed by anthropologists that these practices had a ritualistic or superstitious purpose. Indeed, any attempt to trace the origins of medicine as a science must recognise that early medicine was inseparable from magic and superstition. The earliest definitive evidence we have of this comes from the first civilizations which emerged in Mesopotamia around 4000 BC. These early societies, such as Sumer, Babylon and ancient Egypt, practiced a form of medicine 
which was tightly connected to religious ritual. And, as the first literate societies, they left many records detailing their beliefs. One commonality amongst them was the view that disease was the consequence of possession by demons, and hence, in this view, medicine was a battle against these malign forces. Some early treatments applied noxious remedies to exorcise these evil spirits. For example, burning a cocktail of feathers, pig organs and dung. The theory was this would create an inhospitable environment for these evil spirits and expel them from the body. Similarly, some healers would use incantations to directly challenge these spirits, such as in the Babylonian incantation, the worm and the toothache. This was based on the ancient belief that toothache was caused by a worm or maggot buried inside the tooth, drinking the patient's blood. The incantation finishes with the line, O maggot, let Ea smite you with his mighty fist. However, it would be a mischaracterization of medicine at this time to think of it as being purely religious or superstitious in nature. In fact, there's ample evidence that these early societies also treated disease in more familiar ways, and the intriguing part of studying medicine in this period is the interplay between the more pragmatic and mystical elements. Take, for example, Egyptian pharmacology. Most of the textual evidence comes from the numerous surviving medical papyri. Generally, these papyri focus on treatment of various disorders, ranging from rheumatism to diabetes. The best preserved of these, the Ebers papyrus, contains a long list of conditions, as well as over 700 herbal remedies. The herbal remedies include various seed barks and plants, often mixed with honey or wine, which would then be applied externally. And there may have been some genuine benefit from this. As we know, honey and wine have antiseptic properties. This is likewise true of some of the other ingredients the ancient Egyptians used, such as the resin of the taurus fir, or frankincense. Some of the other drugs used by the Egyptians also had known medicinal properties, such as cannabis, which was used as a pain relief and to treat against inflammation, as well as aloe vera, which was used as a decongestant. Overall, the effectiveness of many of these remedies is difficult to ascertain, particularly as much of the flora mentioned in these texts is difficult to identify. Nevertheless, of what is known, we have to conclude on balance that many of the remedies had at best a mild therapeutic effect. It makes some sense then that the Ebers Papyrus, like most Egyptian medical texts, didn't contain just lists of remedies, but also corresponding rituals and incantations which were to be applied in conjunction with the remedies. At least part of the reason for this is that it's likely they would have a placebo effect, which would aid the patient's recovery. In the ancient world, amongst true believers, this effect must have been substantial, and it's no surprise then that this practice continued for such a long period of history. The same interaction between medicine and religion was also at play when we learn about the people who practiced these treatments. In Egypt, doctors were often some combination of priest and physician. These priest-physicians 
would offer various advice to patients, such as isolation, silence, or baths, and would encourage patients to have therapeutic dreams under some form of hypnosis. Egyptian doctors were also known to specialize. However, this was premised on the Egyptian belief that each part of the body had its own god, and so these priest physicians would specialize in a particular organ and its corresponding god. This priestly aspect of medicine may now seem alien to us. However, these early doctors also had a broader role in maintaining the health of the patient. They would conduct detailed examinations of the patient's expressions, odours, perspirations and excretions in order to offer a diagnosis. Afterwards, they would also be expected to make a prognosis and give some information on the course the disease was likely to follow. As discussed, they would also offer drugs as well as prayers and were often experts at bandaging, a skill which may have derived from mummy wrapping. Indeed, the last type of treatment seems to have been particularly well developed in ancient Egypt because we also get some of the earliest evidence of anatomy and the treatment of physical injuries. One of the most remarkable medical papyri was the Edward Smith Papyrus. Dating from around 1600 BC, but likely based on a much older original text, it includes a list of various injuries, including wounds, dislocations, fractures, and other traumas. Based on this, the injury was then classified by the doctor as either an ailment which could be treated, which meant you'd probably be okay, an ailment to contend with, if things started to look dire, or, if you were really in trouble, an ailment not to be treated. The text also discusses a range of treatments, from plasters and bandages to sutures and cauteries. However, the Edwin Smith Papyrus is also unique because it doesn't include any incantations or rituals as part of this treatment. Instead, it stands as an outlier, which demonstrates a remarkably sophisticated knowledge of anatomy, describing various organs such as the heart, liver and kidneys, as well as having some awareness of the existence of the connection between the heart and the circulatory system. However, in another sense, the Edwin Smith Papyrus is very typical of medical texts of this time, because what it lacks is any discussion of medical theory whatsoever. Remarkably, amongst these huge lists of medicines and remedies, these early writings contained virtually no discussions of why a particular treatment was used. Instead, these early cultures seemingly took a pragmatic approach and favoured whatever worked, or at least seemed to work. Underlying the success of modern medicine is an attempt to understand human health, and our treatments are based on this understanding. By contrast, the treatments used in the ancient world must have come together rather haphazardly over thousands of years. So while these early societies may have practiced something called medicine, this lack of understanding or underlying theory makes it difficult to recognize this medicine as a science. However, despite the lack of evidence of theory in early medical texts, 
at least in later times, there were some indications that the Egyptians were trying to understand the causes of disease. For example, the Egyptians developed a strong belief that the decay of food in the intestines was responsible for some ill health. They believed that if fluids were impeded within the body, then they were transformed into phlegmatic or other pain-causing substances, and these would act as a nuclear site for disease. The Greek historian Herodotus reports that to combat this, three days a month were set aside for purging the body with emetics or enemas. They also believed that the rectum was a particular centre of decay, and so had many remedies to smooth and refresh the orifice. Likewise, one of the most important specialists caring for the health of the pharaoh was the keeper of the royal rectum. Naturally, this early medical theory was relatively primitive and limited in scope. However, soon a new era in the history of medicine was about to get underway. This new phase broke medicine from its superstitious origins and would produce a body of literature which marked a giant leap forward in the development of a more scientific medicine. And, perhaps unsurprisingly, this once again happened in ancient Greece. This distinctive new form of medicine began to emerge in the 6th century BC, coinciding with the rise of the first Greek natural philosophers. The most important of these in the history of medicine was the natural philosopher, which we call Alcmaeon. Working in Croton in southern Italy, Alcmaeon flourished in the late 6th century BC, and only fragments of his work survive. But amongst these are a theory of health which would go on to be incredibly influential. To quote Alcmaeon, What preserves health is the equal distribution of its forces, moist, dry, cold, bitter, sweet, and the domination of any of them creates disease, for the dominance of any kind is destructive. Health, by contrast, is a harmonious blending of these qualities. Alcmaeon may have been influenced in this by the Pythagoreans. The Pythagoreans were also working in southern Italy and were obsessed with dividing nature into pairs of opposite quantities, such as hot and cold, or moist and dry. This may have led to the belief that the harmony of these pairs was the key to good health. This idea, that health was a balance between forces, would become one of the most persistent ideas in the history of medicine, arguably guiding our views on health to the present day. However, more importantly for our present story, it also led to what would become one of the most important, influential and well-developed set of medical writings in the classical world. That is, the Hippocratic Corpus. The Hippocratic Corpus, unfortunately, is a topic for another day. However, I will be back next week to finish our survey of medicine in the Greek world, before continuing the story by exploring anatomy and physiology. I hope you can join us then. 